Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast, where we teach doctrine from God's Word. We're glad that you've joined us for the podcast. However, there is no substitute for being a part of a local body of believers. If you don't have a church home, visit us at restorationhcn.org to see if there's a house church or other faithful Bible-believing church near you. For now, here's this week's message. When Jesus was on this earth, uh, he took some time in John 4, and he communicated two key things related to worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Uh, So we're going to read here from John 4. It says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Two key things that are happening in this passage. One, uh, there's this reference to worshiping God in spirit. Uh, when we see the warnings against idolatry in the Old Testament, they have a lot to do with the fact that God is spirit. You can't make a graven image and expect to be worshiping him. And so usually the reference to God is, is spirit is a reference to how we shouldn't be idolaters. Um, but also we could say that any type of, while, while we would say a graven image is certainly idolatry, we would also say any type of worship that is something, if I'm worshiping any being other than the true God as he has revealed himself, I'm committing some form of idolatry. And so part of what we're seeing here is we're worshiping in spirit uh, in accordance with the truth. I need to be worshiping God accurately. And so this is part of what we've, why we've done this series is we want to make sure we understand who God is as he's revealed himself so that when we worship him, we're really worshiping him and not some lesser version of him. The second key issue here, uh, based on 2 Corinthians 3.18, is that something happens to the believer when we worship God, when we study him for who he is, we're transformed by that. Second uh, Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Uh, there's a reference here. Uh, and if you read uh, 2 Corinthians 3 in its full context, there's a reference to the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And so for the believer, the, the veil of, we'll call it confusion or whatever, is gone. And we have the opportunity to see God's glory in a way that the non-believer does not. And so the more that we are seeing God for who he is, studying him for who he is, the more that we are transformed in the image of Christ. So when we start talking about a study like this, because I know in a lot of churches, the popular thing is to do how-to sermons and things like that. And I'm, I'm not speaking against that here. Practical sermons, there's certainly a value for at times. What we're doing here, though, is saying, if I can see God for who he is, if I can study him in accordance with how he has revealed himself, first of all, he receives glory. But secondly, as the Holy Spirit works in us, we become more and more like Christ. So understanding that, this is why we've done this series. I'm going to do a really quick recap. Uh, We've talked about God's attributes, and we always uh, distinguish them between two categories, uh, the communicable attributes of God and the incommunicable attributes of God. And I know we've gone over this many times, but just a brief review, especially for those who are new. When we talk about God's communicable attributes, we're talking about things that we have some finite reflection of as image bearers of God. Uh, Communicable attributes relate to love and grace and kindness, things that we at least 
uh, have some reflection of in ourselves. Um, intellect, we have a finite reflection of that. God has it to a perfect and infinite degree. Um, understanding, those would be communicable, things that we can say, yeah, humans have this in a finite way. Incom- in- incommunicable attributes are those things about God that no other being has. Um, there's just nothing that, that we can say, oh, well, this human has this thing. So, uh, really quickly, when we start talking about these attributes, uh, the very first of the incommunicable attributes is God's aseity. Um, This is a fancy way of saying God's self-sufficiency, but it's also something a lot more than that. When we start talking about his aseity, we're referencing the fact that not only does God not need anything or anyone, he is the source of everything and everyone. And so when we talk about God's aseity, we're remembering that, man, he does not need us or anything else. He, he only does what he does as a result of his good pleasure, not because he needs anything. Um, God does not need you to love him. Um, he wants you to. He loves you, but he does not need us. He loves us out of his good pleasure. Um, we also understand God's immutability, that he's utterly perfect and not subject to change in his essence, though he is alive and dynamic. Um, God will always be God. Uh, God does not have to learn new things. He doesn't have to change and mature. He has always been God and always will be God, and we can rely on him as such. So when we speak about God, when we study him for who he is, there's a lot of joy and knowing that like he will never change. Similarly, God's unity, that God is uniquely one in number and he can't get parsed out. Uh, for a human, our spirit and our body can be separated and it's a painful and terrible thing, but it can happen. Whereas with God, no thing can, he, he cannot be broken apart. God is uniquely one. Though he is three in person, he is one in essence. We also understand God's infinity, and this is an important one, that God, well, they're all important, but God has no limitations save for self-limitations. This means that the only thing limiting God is God himself by his nature. Uh, God cannot sin, not because someone outside of him is stopping him from it, but because in his own nature, he is perfectly righteous and cannot commit that which is against his nature. Um, Infinity. All right, so next thing, we talk about God's communicable attributes. Um, We can talk about his sovereignty, that he is sovereign in will and sovereign in power. Nothing can stop God's plan. Uh, Intellect, that God is all-knowing, omniscient. He is all-wise, perfectly wise. We call that omnisapient. Veracity, he is perfectly true. Um, We also talk about God's spirituality. Um, He is spirit. That is a unique thing. We also have a spirit, but God is spirit. He's the source of life. And then recently, we've been studying God's morality, um, his holiness and his righteousness. We talked about right before Easter, because this helped us understand that, that because God is perfect and set apart, he cannot be in relationship with sin, which is why there needed to be a redeemer to pay our sin debt, to restore us into relationship with God. Uh, today, we're going to continue with our study of God's goodness when we talk about God's goodness, we actually have kind of a, a clustering of, uh, of attributes that go together into what we call God's goodness. And as we'll see, those are his benevolence, his love, his grace, his mercy, and his long-suffering. And so we're going to begin by talking about God's love because this is a pretty critical one. Uh, we see from Scripture that love seems to be a unique and significant motivator in so much that God does. Uh, Most specifically for believers, we see God's love motivating his redemptive action. 
And so we're going to begin this study by talking about God's love for several reasons, not the least of which is that when we look at Scripture and we look at this kind of grand narrative of Scripture, the focus seems to be that God is rescuing his people because he loves them. Uh, And I I don't think it is wise to try to set up God's attributes and say that one is more important than another. I think that's a little bit of a dangerous thing to do. What we can say is that God's love motivates his action of rescuing his people, and that that seems to be a central theme of Scripture. And so I would not say that love is the main thing about God you need to know or something like that, but as far as his redemptive plan, love is playing such a key role. And so with that in mind, we're going to turn to our primary text. Uh, We're going to be here in 1 John 4, 7 through 16. And if you would, um, I'm going to pray before I jump into this. I know I've prayed once before, but since we're setting into our key text, I want to lift us up. Um, Lord, I am asking that you would be with us today in a unique way. Um, fill me with your Holy Spirit, illuminate the Word of God by your Holy Spirit, uh, and give us a key understanding. God, as we're, as we're going to talk about who you are, and then immediately talk about the ways in which we are to reflect your image, uh, Lord, it's so easy for us to go awry here and, and see this as just a way in which we need to try harder when we know that ultimately the primary issue here is that we want to glorify you because of who you are. And the byproduct of that is that as we worship you, your Holy Spirit seems to change us and form us into your image. So God, may we all have that so clearly. May we not leave here with a uh, steps to be more godlike or any any kind of false view like that. God, may may we at the end of this study look and see how wonderful you are. And then, Lord, as a result of knowing more about you, of who you are, that then may your Holy Spirit do a unique work in us to transform us into Christ-likeness. Let's be with us now. May I speak only in accordance with your will, nothing more and nothing less. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. So, um, 1 John 4, beginning in verse 7, says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is the love, uh, in this is love, not that we excuse me, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Uh, I want to point out a couple of key issues here. In 1 John 4, Uh, John is writing primarily to believers, and he is pointing out two distinctive marks of believers that come up as a result of God's love in them. First of all, he says that for the person who has been born of God, for the person who knows God, 
they are naturally going to have love for other believers. This one another language, uh, it doesn't uh, rule out love for outsiders, but the focus seems to be in 1 John 4, that if I know the love of God, if the Holy Spirit is in me, that I am subsequently going to love other believers, that it's just a natural thing for the person who is in Christ, for the person who has the Holy Spirit in them. The second thing that 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 comes up here is the proclamation of Christ's deity and saving work. So uh, John, writing 1 John, and many of us would say that 1 John is a, is a description of what the life in Christ looks like. This is how you know you have fellowship with God. And you can, you're reading 1 John in its, in its entirety, gives you this clear understanding, like, man, this is what fellowship with God is like. And so many times for the person doubting their faith, we'll send them to 1 John 4 and say, hey, listen, read 1 John 4. Do you find these things growing in your life? And if so, praise the Lord. And if not, repent and believe the gospel. But I'm, I'm always drawing some focus here because how interesting that in this language here of 1 John 4 that focuses so much on God's love and how profound it is, that the language is that the immediate reaction will be for the believer to love other believers and then for the non-believer, uh, for the believer to then proclaim this good news to the non-believer, that there is a loving action in both of those things. One, that we pro- proclaim the good news of Christ and his saving work. Second, that we love other believers. Now, as we're talking about this attribute of God, then I can't help but note that there seems to be a parallel here between First John four and Galatians five. Uh, Galatians five nineteen. You don't have to turn there. You're welcome to. Uh, the The apostle Paul is writing to the Galatian church. Now here we have Paul, of course, affirming the same type of things we see John affirming in First John four. But Paul in Galatians five says, "Now the works of the flesh are evident: sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger." rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires." Really quickly, uh, I want to draw attention that both John and Paul uh, are immediately referencing love as a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, In 1 John 4, the Apostle John is speaking to the fact that when you know God, the Holy Spirit is in you. You understand the loving work that God has done. You understand that God is love. And then out of that, you can't help but love other believers and proclaim the gospel to the non-believer. I want to also point out in both of both Galatians and 1 John that the language here is that it is a work of the Spirit in you. As you recognize who God is, that the Holy Spirit is the one growing these things. Uh, I am always faithful, especially in, in Galatians 5, to point out that Paul lists works of the flesh, but then fruits of the Spirit. A fruit of the Spirit is not a thing that you can do. A fruit of the Spirit is something that grows as a result of abiding in Christ. So paying attention to this, uh, we're going to reference these fruits of the Spirit because many of these would fall under the category um, of goodness. Um, And as we'll see, these are not in totality, but in many ways, things that seem to reflect attributes of God. Um, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Pay attention as we read on and address some of these other um, 
attributes of God in the context of goodness. So the next one, so we mentioned the first of these attributes related to goodness is God's love. Um, secondarily, we would mention God's benevolence. When we talk about God's goodness, one of the things we're talking about is benevolence. Uh, this is the idea that God cares for all of his creatures gen- generally. We often will refer to this in the context of what we call common grace, um, that God seems to take a personal interest in providing for all that he has created. Psalm 145.9 says, the Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. Matthew 5, 45 says, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Understanding here this language of benevolence, that God in his goodness, because he is good, he cares for his creation. Uh, And I would say specifically in a time such as this, when we're watching people suffer, um, it is a wise thing to recognize that God is still sending his sunshine and his rain. He is providing it for both the evil and the good. Um, The plants still grow. Um, There are still vegetables. There is still weather and there is still provision because God has this common grace of just provision that he gives for his creation because he cares generally. Now, as we'll see, this is a different language. This idea of benevolence, uh, this idea that he just kind of cares generally is different than we will see as the distinctive loving kindness he has for his children. So reading on. For that, we see this language of grace throughout all of Scripture. And we won't take too long on this one, uh, because we did just do, uh, in our series on the five solos of the Reformation, we address God's grace then. But the word grace, we translate grace, in the Old Testament refers to God's unique favor, or as it is usually translated, loving kindness that is shown to his people Israel. In the New Testament, it refers to God's unmerited favor for the elect. In both cases, God is giving grace, and as we will see, he's giving grace because he's gracious. Uh, Ephesians 1, 6, and 7 says, uh, To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, that is in Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Uh, Notice once again that the language here is that God's grace comes out of the fact that he is gracious. He doesn't deliver grace because we deserve it. He delivers it because he is gracious. Uh, I would point out that similarly, this loving kindness word that's used here is the same type of word that we see used in a reflection of the fruits of the Spirit um, when God's when kindness is represented as a fruit. And hopefully we kind of see this parallel that as I am abiding in the Spirit, that there are these attributes of God that if the Holy Spirit is dwelling in me, those things should be growing out of me as a reflection of God's work in me. And so we see that God's love in us allows us to grow in love because his Holy Spirit's at work for that. Similarly, in benevolence, we should see that as well. Um, Similarly, in grace, that I should be lovingly kind. I should provide unmerited favor uh, to those who are near. Uh, Similar to grace, we have God's mercy. It's the idea that God shows compassion to those in distress, even when, or especially when, they do not deserve it. That he is the source of all true compassion. He is sensitive to our hurt and our distress, and is given and is driven to comfort us. And as we will see, the cross is a prime example of this. So in 2 Corinthians 1, uh, 
verses three through four, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Once again, we see this theme that here God is showing mercy because he is merciful. And then the understanding is that in the same way that we have been shown mercy, then God gives us the opportunity to comfort and show mercy uh, to others beyond ourselves. We go on to loving kindness, another attribute of God here, that he is slow to judgment despite the rebellion of sinners because he wants us to repent. Second uh, Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Um, you will note, once again, in Galatians 5, when there is a reference to the fruits of the Spirit, patience is one of those mentioned here. Um, and hopefully we're, we're seeing this very clear theme that as we're looking at God's uh, attributes that fall under the category of goodness, uh, we have these attributes of love and benevolence and grace and mercy and patience or long-suffering, and that every one of these things seem to be things that as we worship God and recognize that He has these things, that He blesses us with these good gifts, that so the idea is that the Holy Spirit, as He is at work in us, will allow us to grow in each of these things, in our love for one another, our grace, our mercy, our patience, our kindness. And so the idea is that our response for this should really be twofold, as we mentioned before, that one, we worship in spirit and in truth, recognizing that God, you are good. And in your goodness, you have benevolence and love and grace and mercy and long suffering. And so I should worship God for who he is. But then because I am walking in the spirit, because I'm redeemed and the Holy Spirit has made me alive, he is working in me. And that the long-term result is that fruits of the spirit are grown. And I begin to reflect these types of things in my life, not because I'm trying hard to do them, not because I'm trying hard to grace or trying hard to love, uh, but because I'm worshiping God in such a way that those things begin to grow in me by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so um, as we're kind of completing this series on the attributes of God and we're we're pulling in these last few here, uh, my goal is not that we say, cool, this is some neat things about God and let's check the list. Um, Nor should we say, man, I need to try harder to be a better person. Um, No, the idea is that I look to who God is and say, man, you are wonderful, Lord. And I respond with worship and the byproduct, the wonderful blessing is that the more I worship God for who he is and the Holy Spirit works in me, the more then that I am formed in the image of Christ, which of course is the plan. It's what he has promised us. And so the goal here today, especially in this season that we're in, as we're, uh, as we're watching the world struggle, that we say, God, you are good. And we trust in his revelation and worship him for who he is. And then as that happens, we start seeing these fruits grow in us as well. So um, I'm going to pray and then um, welcome to stay on and feel free to ask questions or uh, whatever. Um, But uh, we can fellowship a little bit longer. But what I want for us to do is recognize God for who he is and give him the glory that he deserves. Uh, So let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Um, I will confess that in this season when um, 
uh, we're separated. We're both separated and connected by screens in this season. Um, it makes it more difficult for me, honestly, as a pastor to, to teach and shepherd as I, as I am trained and love to do. Um, and so Lord, I depend on you even more now that your Holy spirit would do the work that he is to do, uh, that my, my meager communication of your truth, uh, would not be, uh, would not be forgotten, but that your Holy Spirit would illuminate the Word of God um, and would remind us who you are as we have looked at you today, looked at your revelation of yourself. And then, God, may we grow in you. God, may you be glorified as we dwell on your goodness, on your love and your benevolence and your mercy and your grace. Um, God, certainly, by your Holy Spirit, form us into your image. Um, but God, the goal here is not merely for us to somehow be just seen as better people. The goal here is that you would receive glory, both in us worshiping you for who you are and in you forming us into the image of Christ, that the, both of those things result in you receiving glory. So be with us as we continue in our fellowship today. Thank you for who you are. Um, you are good, Lord. Thank you. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Restoration Church Podcast. The more positive reviews we get, the more people can find out about the podcast. So please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. For more information, visit restorationhcn.org.